What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the SideQuesting Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric. Once again, my co-host, Tom, he is off for the weekend. Uh, it is actually, if you'd all join me in wishing Tom a very happy birthday, it is his birthday today. Well, it might not be today by the time I get this episode out, uh, but his birthday was Saturday, this past Saturday. So, Tom, I hope you're enjoying your birthday. I will take over podcasting duties again once today. Uh, I think he went out of town with his family for a short weekend, so I hope you're getting some relaxation, buddy. Uh, Tom's been working hard getting the COVID vaccine to all of us so that we can have a some return to a normal semblance of life here, hopefully soon. Uh, I actually, in fact, just got scheduled to go and get my COVID vaccine uh, at the start of May. So looking forward to doing that. I have a... Uh, <laughs> Please don't mind the squeaking in the background. I have the door to my game room open. Uh, I, my fiance is at work this morning, and I am recording the podcast uh, with a puppy and with with Milo. So Milo is entertaining himself out in the front room while I am in the game room recording this podcast. But as I was saying, uh, looking forward to getting the vaccine. Uh, I'm hoping life gets back to normal here pretty soon. The weather's getting nicer. I want to start going back to barbecues. I want to start going out uh, attending fairs attending all the outside stuff that we normally do in summer and uh, most importantly i have a wedding coming up uh, next year at the beginning of february 2022 yeah 2022 jesus i can't even remember what year we're in anymore because what is time except you know a construct by man to keep us all enslaved to our eight-hour work schedules and make us feel like life is meaningless so yeah uh, wedding planned with the fiance in February of 2022. That's going to be really awesome. So looking forward to getting everything back to normal so that we can celebrate with all of our friends and family. So like I said, last week we took a week off. It was just a lot of adulting stuff was going on uh, between Taylor and I were doing wedding stuff. Tom was busy, like I said, giving everybody the COVID vaccine. And just between that and all the, the, the puppy stuff with our new puppy, Sora, wasn't able to do a podcast last week so i hope maybe you dove into the backlog of some of the episodes you maybe haven't listened to before check some of those out we've got some really great ones filler arc on my hero academia where me and tom are talking about the entire series of my hero academia which i believe season five just came out or is just about to come out uh you can stream that on funimation i believe it is simulcast there with the sub and dub not 100 sure but i'd have to check that out uh a lot of other great stuff coming out in april too or the stuff that has come out um one of the things we're going to talk about this podcast uh, came out last friday is my favorite game so far this year one of my favorite game series as of <laughs> three years ago monster hunter rise came out for the switch and that's been between adulting trying to do things for the wedding, the puppy, and sleeping. Uh, all my extra time was going in trying to play Monster Hunter Rise because I just wanted to take some time to play one of my most anticipated games of 2021 and one of my favorite game series since I started playing the series back when World came out. Uh, I believe uh, two days ago, Outriders just came out. Uh, Outriders is the MMO-style FPS looter shooter put out by Square Enix that was just released on 4.1. I believe was the release date. Uh, I played a demo of Outriders for a little bit and checked that out. Uh, it was pretty enjoyable from the parts that I was able to play of it. It's kind of a Destiny-esque looter shooter combined with kind of Gears of War style and Division style uh, cover shooting. Uh, and throw in uh, dudes that have crazy abilities to completely dominate the battlefield. Uh, from what I played of Outriders so far it or in the demo, it was an absolute blast. Don't know if I'll pick it up later. I know it's on Xbox Game Pass, so I might end up just playing it 
maybe just playing through the campaign and seeing what some of the extra stuff is probably don't have time to fully devote to keeping up with it and doing all of the stuff that I would like to do on it. And I'm just because I just I don't have time in my busy life anymore to play games like that. It's becoming more and more difficult the older you get and the more adult responsibilities you accumulate to be able to keep up with games like that. One of the things that me and my friends used to do a lot uh, when Destiny 1 came out is we played Destiny 1 all the time, even though Destiny 1 is kind of... I mean, they've gotten Destiny 2 to a better place. Destiny 1 was criticized about not having a lot of content at launch and then kind of this... Destiny 1 launched when we hadn't really figured out what games as a service were going to be yet. And I kind of credit Fortnite for kind of pushing that into the foreground of the current model of games as a service is the kind of thing that we're doing right now. But Destiny 1 just did the standard, oh, we'll put out like four or five DLC packages and that'll be the game. We'll move on to the next one. But my college buddies and I played the crap out of Destiny 1. We were doing all the raids every week, uh, doing all the weeklies on playing pvp pve all that kind of stuff and we sunk in probably three four hundred hours into destiny one back when we had time when you know we were still in college just graduating college and just starting to get jobs at the time i still lived with my parents because i was trying to pay off the ungodly amount of debt that i had accumulated trying to get an education so i had a lot that pretty much my life just consisted of and i didn't have a girlfriend at the time so my life pretty much just consisted of work come home say hi to the parents eat food and then go play destiny for maybe like a year of that was my life and then same thing kind of happened when overwatch came out is kind of it's kind of similar but now you got adult responsibilities and i just i enjoy playing destiny too i i think it's gotten a lot better but just the amount of content and to dive back into it after the time that i've taken off of it I just think would be way too difficult it's there's a lot going on there and just to devote the kind of time to it over the week that I would need to to keep up with everything I just I don't think I'm able to and that's really the point of games as a service their model is a lot kind of like Fortnite now where they put out seasons of stuff seasons of content that last a certain amount of time and then end and then you go to the next season of content of stuff to do so we've really kind of hit the pinnacle of this games as a service different seasons of content type of gaming I would like to say I think we've really kind of, I mean, everybody that's doing a games as a service, even games that you wouldn't think that are games as a service are kind of like this now. Like, I know Valhalla's got some, or maybe Valhalla's doing regular DLC. Valhalla might be doing regular DLC, but a lot of these other games are putting out different seasons of content. Some of the games are doing great, uh, like Animal Crossing New Horizons puts out new seasons of content, but that stuff's pretty much just free updates, which is incredible that... They're putting out free updates for almost a whole... Yeah, it's been a whole year now since Animal uh, Crossing New Horizons launched last year in the middle of the pandemic, and they've just been putting out a steady stream of new content. And similar thing with the game we're going to talk about today, Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, if And if you don't recall, when World came out... If you didn't play World, so... A little bit of my background history on the Monster Hunter series. Okay, so I originally, back in the day, when Monster Hunter moved to the portable systems, uh, a lot of the titles, and like I, I'm not exactly sure what all the titles are, because like I said, I jumped on board when World came out. When the titles were back on handheld, I wasn't... I picked one up. I don't know if it was for the PSP. I don't know if it was for a 2DS or whatever. I picked one up and tried to play it, and I was just immediately 
turned off by how just complicated the game seemed. It just, I mean, it was fun. Fighting these monsters was fun, but there were so many menus. There were so many things you had to learn, and it seemed like the game kind of expected you to know from older titles what you were doing in order to be able to play it. So I played it for probably a couple hours, got turned off on it, and then just promptly went down to GameStop, traded it back in, and just never picked it up again. But then when Monster Hunter World was on the horizon, I kept seeing the trailers, uh, I, I kept seeing some of the gameplay teases, and one of the things that sold me on it was uh, my college buddies and I went to Los Angeles to E3 in 2016 when Monster Hunter World had a booth there. And their booth was so fucking cool. It had a giant Rathalos like dragon over it, like lording over the convention center. It was, it was absolutely incredible. It was right next to the Lord of the Rings uh, Shadow of War booth that was there too. And that was really cool too because they pretty much like transformed a part of the show floor into Mordor. Uh, really grateful I got to go to E3 before it kind of crash and burn because... I'm pretty. I feel like the pandemic was probably the killing blow for E3, but not to get off on any side tangents. Even though this is the side questing podcast, uh, I made up my decision then to pick up the game, check it out, and it was even more reinforced when it got close into launch and it got really good reviews. And I kept reading, "This is the most accessible Monster Hunter that they've ever come up with." They've updated and kind of streamlined a lot of the old archaic systems. So that's when I decided to pick it up on PS4 started playing it, played it with some people, streamed it when I was still streaming, had a lot of fun with it, kind of went away from it for a while because things just kind of happened and moved on to other games. Uh, when I really came back to it was when Monster Hunter World came out on the PC. And uh, at that time, I had kind of transitioned away from console gaming to PC gaming just because that's what a majority of my friends were doing now. We had gotten to the point where we were older, we had money, we have jobs, we could afford to get nicer PCs to play these games. So we decided to get Monster Hunter World on the PC and play it together, and that was absolutely incredible. And I fell in love with the game. They did a fantastic job of really reaching for a new audience and bringing in new people that have never played Monster Hunter before, because I've talked to so many people online since Rise has come out that said, oh yeah, if it wasn't for Monster Hunter World, I probably wouldn't be playing this game. So World comes out and is a huge success. It gets it finds a new audience. And going back to our topic as games as a service thing, Monster Hunter puts out a steady stream of content. They add new monsters. They add new events to do. Colve uh, Tarath. Uh, they added in Devil Joe, the Angry Pickle as a new monster to be able to fight. And after a couple content updates like that, they worked, They were working on and they released a gigantic DLC for, I don't know if it was for $30. It was called Iceborne. And there are, so don't get me wrong. There are DLC, but then there are DLC. Iceborne was almost a mini game in and of itself. There was so much content they added in that game. I mean, back in the early days of DLC, I mean, we thought of DLC as, oh, Call of Duty DLC. It's a format pack and maybe like a new gun or a new zombie mode or whatever. Iceborne was an entire new freaking game. They could have made this entire new freaking game. They added dozens of new and old monsters from uh, series pass and new ones they made specifically for Iceborne. They added in a new hub area. They added in new quests. They added in a new explorable area. Uh, and then even after Iceborne was done, they kept adding more and more content. They added uh, 
what are some of the things they added? I know they added a new Dragon Siege. Oh, the Safi Jiva Siege. They added Elytreon, Raging, uh, Raging Brachydarios, uh, Furious Raging. So they just added a shit ton of like different variants of monsters that you could fight. And it was incredible. And they topped that all off with their last one they released last year, which was Fatalis, uh, which is a longtime Monster Hunter foe, based on what I've read about the series in the past so far. So... To end one of my tangents, if you're going to do a games as a service, that's definitely the right way because Monster Hunter World was one of the most successful games that Capcom ever put out. Fast forward to this year to Friday, March 29th or whatever it was, and Monster Hunter, they've been putting out a steady stream of Monster Hunter content, showing off the weapons, showing off the type of game that Rise is going to be, saying it's a Switch exclusive. Now, this is a pretty bold move to put Monster Hunter Rise as a Switch exclusive f- first for the first se- for the first year and then it's going to come out on PC later next year. Pretty bold move, but this is kind of the same thing they did with Rise except they released Rise on every platform except the Switch pretty much. And they didn't hold Monster Hunter World back from the PC. Capcom had just never made a PC game like that before, so they just took the extra time to get it working the way they wanted to. They'd always make console games. So Monster Hunter Rise releases on March 29th, and it's just, it it's the top of the charts right now. It's the number one game in the world. I think Capcom said that they've shipped 4 million units so far of the game, which for a Monster Hunter World, or Monster Hunter game, uh, being how difficult it is and how unique it is from other games is actually really impressive. 4 million units within a week, like that's, that's incredible. It's obviously going to be their most successful Monster Hunter game to date. And that's obviously due to the fact that they decided to keep in place a lot of the systems from Monster Hunter World. World was so successful, they didn't want to deviate drastically from it and alienate this newfound audience, even though a smaller percentage of the audience for World said they prefer the older games better because that's what they've been playing for their entire lives. And I get that. It's, it's probably frustrating when... You've played so many titles that are so many, you know, a certain way. And then Capcom goes, yeah, but we're going to make it a little more streamlined just so we can get a bigger audience. I I get that. I think World was a great success overall, though. So, of course, it makes sense to want to buoy the success of World onto the Switch game that you release. That only makes sense. So they leave a lot of things in place from World, the way the weapons work. Uh, the art style, the way the monsters behave. A lot of that stuff is in, in kept in place. Uh, the way the the locales are open and all connected. You don't have to go from one section of the locale to the other. They keep a lot of those things in place. But they make a couple of very minor uh, quality of life adjustments. Doing quests in Monster Hunter Rise is way easier than it was in World. The, in World, you used to have to if, if you wanted to play the game solo, it was relatively easy. You posted the quests, and then you just clicked you're ready to depart, and it took you on the quest. If you wanted to play with friends, you had to create an online lobby. You had to get all your friends in there. You had to post the quest. Your friends had to find the quest on the quest board or wherever you're posting it, accept it, and then you could go. This is pretty much just you can kind of jump right in, and you see your friend's quest posted right there, and it gives you a little icon when they posted something, and you're pretty much ready to go. So that whole multiplayer aspect is... A lot better. It still could be better. I think they could still definitely make improvements on it. But that is a lot better. But what they've also done is they've 
separated the story quests from the multiplayer quests. And I think that's a really great idea, too. The story quests in Monster Hunter Rise are designed to kind of walk you through the game and introduce you to it. They're much easier than the multiplayer online quests are. The monsters aren't as aggressive. They don't have as much health. They don't hit as hard. So the story, Capcom really wants you to experience the story plus learn how to play the game while playing the story and then be ready to take on the more difficult multiplayer hunts, which are found in the hub or it's called the gathering hub that's where your multiplayer hunts are the way this used to work in monster hunter world is you used to have your main quests your main story quests right there weren't really online quests though you could either do the main story quests with your party or with people or post them online and people could join in with you or you could and the way the side quests work the way the multiplayer quests work were as you found monster tracks and defeated the monsters and broke parts off of them you'd gain points and you gain research points and then you'd get investigations to be able to hunt more of that monster as far as i know i haven't beaten the whole game yet i'm pretty far it doesn't work that way anymore there are no more monster tracks to collect there's no more research points pretty much once you fight the monster once you know everything there is to know about it so you can fight it there's no collecting research points finding the monster multiple times to figure out all its attributes and what it drops it after the first time it pretty much tells you exactly what the monster is how to fight it what its weaknesses are what drops you're going to get from it what the percentage rare drops what the percentage of chance that you have to get those drops so the investigations are gone that whole kind of convoluted getting investigations and posting them and managing them in your like quest inventory that's completely gone so this is like what I was saying when I was trying to make my point. Now I'm just kind of rambling. Rise is essentially world. They've just trimmed out a lot of the fat. There's no tracking the monsters. Uh, the amount of things to collect on the map aren't as much. And the map sizes are definitely smaller and less complex than they were in world. But that's a necessity just because a Nintendo Switch is never going to be as powerful as a gaming PC. It's just not. It's not going to be. So they've had to trim out a lot of things like that. Uh, they've had to trim out a lot more. The animation style is more, I hate to say this, but it's just more animated, not to be cliche. It's more cartoony. Um, some of the the weapons hit feel like they hit a little bit differently just because they have to take out. The animation can't be as fine polished and the graphics can't be as fine polished because it's not on as powerful machine. But after you get past that, you don't really notice it. It still feels really good. To those people that have played monster hunter world it still feels really good and it still feels like what you're used to with minor tweaks to everything now there are a couple things in this game like i said they made a lot of minor quality of life improvements and listen i'm kind of jumping all over the place here just because i'm really excited to talk about this game i don't really have an order of the things that i like to talk about a specific game if i'm talking about it i just love to talk about the game and monster hunter world very quickly became one of my favorite franchises of all time and this has become one of my monster hunter rise has become one of my favorite games of the last couple years i've been having an absolute blast with it so they made some relatively minor changes that really helped the quality of life of the game like i said quests are easier uh the village kimura village is way more compact and easy to get around in uh the places the hubs and world were a little more confusing they were larger they were kind of more spread out uh, they kind of went all over the place 
Kamura Village in Rise is super easy. There's like one road, it splits off into a T. You can go like left or right and everything is like along those two main roads and like that's it. And you can't explore and there's some little hidden stuff here and there, but it's relatively simple. Now, what they, the major changes that they made in Rise were major, major changes. And I think they did an incredible job with these major changes. First giant thing that they did was they completely revamped one of the weapons is the hunting horn now for those of you that don't know back in world and in previous monster hunters i assume if anybody i'm gonna get massacred if anybody that has played more than just world listens to this game because i'm talking like i know everything and i honestly have no idea the hunting horn the changes made to this weapon were gigantic and it's honestly become one of the best weapons in the game now and you're probably thinking, oh, like, well, what's the big deal? If you've never listened, if you've never played Monster Hunter before, you probably won't understand the significance of weapons in Monster Hunter. There are 14 different weapons. Hunting Horn, Longsword, Greatsword, Insect Glaive, Heavy Bowgun. I'm not going to name all of them, but there's, there's different weapons that have a different style of play. And picking a weapon to use, it, it's not like a... It's not like in a regular RPG or like Kingdom Hearts where you just equip a stronger Keyblade. Like the weapons you pick have serious implications in the way you play the game. A person that plays Longsword like myself is going to play the game totally different than a person that picks Greatsword, than a person that picks Heavy Bowgun, than a person that picks Dual Blades, and a person that picks Sword and Shield. And even people that play Longsword like me, I have I'll have a different play style of playing Longsword than you know. 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 different people on the internet. There's that much variety in the weapons that you pick and the combos that you can do and the things that they can do that picking a weapon and finding a play style is the biggest decision you will have in a Monster Hunter game. It's essentially like picking a starter in Pokemon. It's it's that significant of a choice because the starter that you pick in Pokemon affects how you play the entire game. The weapon that you pick in Monster Hunter will significantly impact the way you play the game now it's unlike pokemon you, you're not just limited to one weapon you could make all the weapons for all 14 different categories and just master them all and then you're ready for anything but so hunting horn back in world was it was a a, a cult favorite weapon right there's a there's a cult of people that use hunting horns around it that or hunting horn uses that use this weapon and were really good at it and hunting horn has always been kind of a meme on the red and on the Monster Hunter Reddit's and on the internet. But I always respected Hunting Horn mains. And whenever I went into multiplayer quests with random people in Monster Hunter World, if we had a Hunting Horn main, I felt a lot better because the people that could play Hunting Horn really well were incredible. Because not only is it a heavy, damaging knockout type of weapon, it's also a buffing weapon. So the way the hunting horn works is when the person or the way the hunting horn used to work in world is when a person would hit attacks button x a y whatever controller you're putting on to input their attacks the buttons would also input notes on a meter underneath your health bar and it would put in notes as and you'd queue up notes as you would attack and when you queue up a certain amount of notes you could then play all those notes and that would play a song that would apply a certain buff to your party 
So the hunting horn was very strategic in the attacks and combos you could use because you wanted to get all of the buffs on your party to help them succeed in the hunt better. And that was a very technical weapon back in World where you had to line up the combos correctly so you could get all of your buffs because different combos will put different notes in the meter and when you play those notes it'll give you a different buff and different hunting horns have different buffs that you can use with them so the hunting horn people especially had to have various loadouts for different things depending on what they were fighting if you were fighting a rathalos you're going to bring a different hunting horn than if you were fighting a Nargakuga than if you were fighting Nergigante, you're going to bring different hunting horns depending on what buffs you thought you needed for the fight, just in the way that you would build different armor sets for the different fights because they all have different abilities and skills attached to them. And so the hunting horn is essentially just like a giant club weapon that played music and buff people. That's pretty much, if you take nothing away from that, just take that away. Fast forward to Monster Hunter Rise... Not only does the Hunting Horn have an entire new set of moves, but they simplified the way in which the buffs can be applied. So I haven't experimented with the Hunting Horn too much. I've watched Eric's Weapon Workshop, which, which by the way, if you're trying to learn how to play Monster Hunter, uh, there's a YouTuber, his name is Eric's, A-R-E-K-K-Z, I think it is, is how it's spelled. I'll have to double check that. And him and his team put together these amazing tutorials called weapon workshops they go in depth and into all of the 14 weapons and honestly if it wasn't for him i wouldn't have learned to play monster hunter at all because i was so lost when i first started watching all of his weapon workshops i was able to decide what kind of weapon i wanted to play and learn moves for all the weapons that i was playing so hunting horn now one of the things that it does is when you attack and when you do combos it still cues up notes in your meter but when you play the certain notes in a certain way, now when you attack, your buffs play automatically. You don't have to like line up the buffs a certain way and then press a button to play them manually. You can just attack, 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 and when you line up the certain notes, the buff will play automatically while you're attacking. So it really has learned. It really, it really has lended this kind of more aggressive playstyle to a weapon that was more traditionally seen as a support weapon because you don't have to stop and play the buffs anymore. You don't have to stop and play the songs. The songs will proc mid-attack if you've played the combo of notes in the right order, which is incredible because if you're playing Hunting Horn solo, one of the most frustrating things was, you know, to get your buffs, you would have to stop and play the song, but now you can keep up an aggressive, relentless attack on the monster and you don't have to stop to play your songs. Your songs will play automatically, so you can constantly maintain your buff while constantly uh, putting pressure on the monster and not letting up to give it an opening on you. That 100% changes the way that you play Hunting Horn, you play that weapon. It's a completely... It's it's one of the most significant overhauls of a mechanic I've ever seen in any game that I've ever played. It's It's incredible. It's made it a lot of fun for me, who was never a Hunting Horn main, and it's relatively easy to pick up too. So if you're interested in playing it, I think it's the most played and most overpowered weapon in the game right now. It's absolutely incredible. But if you're not, if you're thinking, well, I kind of got used to the way it played in World and I kind of like that more supportive play style and stopping to have to play the song and queuing up the notes the way I want to, 
you don't really have to worry about it because there's two different modes that you can play. So the one mode is where the songs will play automatically. And I'm not sure if the second mode is a switch skill or what it is. I haven't done a lot of research on it. But the other mode is where you can line up the notes manually and play them when you're ready to. So if you still like that type of supportive play style and the freedom and the customizability to play the songs when you want to, don't worry, you can still do that. That's not a problem. So Haunting Horn is one of the biggest changes in the way the game is played. And honestly, for quality of life, I'm hoping all the Hunting Horn mains out there are loving it. And I'm hoping that they're finally getting their day in the spotlight and just going absolutely apeshit in public lobbies with people and beating the shit out of these monsters. I'm, I'm really happy for the Hunting Horn mains that they got this incredible re rework that made their weapons absolutely incredible. That's really awesome. The second and probably just as significant thing that they added to Rise was the wire bug. Now, what's the best way to describe what the wire bug is? The best way I can describe it is this, it essentially makes you Spider-Man when you're out in the world. You have a certain number of wire bug charges. I think it's two and you can pick, them a pick up a third and the wire bugs always recharge when you use them on a timer that you can use to sling yourself around the map, to access really high areas, to quickly close in on a monster if he's created space for you the wire bug by itself drastically and almost systematically changes the way monster hunter is played going back and checking out monster hunter world now without the addition of the wire bug makes monster hunter world seem like the slowest game in the fucking world it is painful to see how slow that game is now because the wire bug gives you such speed and mobility that has never been seen in a Monster Hunter game before. And I've gone back and looked at the old Monster Hunter games. The speed at which you move and rise is, is crazy. And it's one of my favorite things in video games when designers do this is the designers from Monster Hunter Rise knew they had this wire bug idea and it was a really good idea. And they didn't just do like one or two minor things with the wire bug, like maybe be tempted to do like, oh, we can use the eye wire bug to access higher areas and maybe just get around a little faster. Nah, man, they dialed this shit up to 11. They cranked it all the way up and pretty much changed the way the game is played around this wire bug idea. Because not only is the wire bug included in your mobility now, but the wire bug is now included in the way every single weapon attacks in the game so not only can you fling yourself up into the air or hang there for a second or pull your or quickly close on a monster your weapons now have these silk bind skills that incorporate the wire bug and each weapon has two silk bind skills that dramatically affect the way that you play the game for example i'm a longsword user and if you don't know what a longsword is essentially imagine a katana but it's just a giant, really fucking long katana. It's essentially like a Sephiroth sword, but not as thin. It's it's just, and it's not quite as big as the greatsword. The greatsword is just a sharpened piece of iron on the end of a stick that is huge. The longsword's more of like a katana that's on a little bit of steroids, and it's really long. So for my weapon, the longsword, there are the two silkbind skills. Uh, one is a silkbind counter, so I can hit it, and it takes up both of my wire bug charges. And it puts me into a stance where, you know, the traditional stance where the samurai has the katana down by his side. And then he pulls it out, 
to like slash and puts it back in. So it's essentially that stance. But what happens is, and it, and, it's, and it activates in there a bunch of lines that go around you, and it stays that way for a few seconds. And if any point when you're in this animation, if the monster hit you, hits you, it procs a counter against that mount monster where you like do the slash out, it negates any damage that it does to you, and it damages the monster pretty heavily. So it really adds a counter attack style to the way that you play Longsword in addition to the different uh, EI slashes and things that they added in Monster Hunter World that are still present. The other Silkbind move is, uh, and this is only takes one wire bug, it's where you launch yourself up into the air and you kind of knee the monster, and if you knee the monster, you'll do a, a downward stabbing motion where you stab and you hit, do like three or four hits on the monster stabbing down. What this move does is it deals damage and it charges your long sword meter, which you need to like build the meter up and you can do more crazy flashy moves. Now the alternate of that silkbind move is if you if you hit the monster, if you, you know if you fling yourself into the air and knee it, hit the monster, you can hit right trigger and it'll do your your spirit helm breaker slash, which is one of the moves from World and they incorporated it into the silkbind move, which I think is a lot better because trying to do this hit the stab and hit the combo to do that in World was kind of annoying sometimes, and this is a much faster way to to access that move. So pretty much what it does is you come down with a slash and it like slashes the air and like a few seconds go by and then the monster takes like a bunch of slash damage. It's kind of like, you know, in Dragon Ball Z when Future Trunks just shows up and he's fighting Frieza and he goes through and he like slices all the guys and then he puts his sword back in and he stands there for a second and then all Frieza's men fall down. It's kind of like that move. And it's one of the coolest moves in the game. I call it the anime slash because it is really anime as fuck. So the wire bugs are not only incorporated into the movement but incorporated into the main way that you play your weapon now and i absolutely love games that do this right so they very clearly didn't want to drastically stray from the monster hunter formula and the main monster hunter formula is still there but they had this idea for the wire bug and they went out of their way to painstakingly include it in every aspect it is it's the mechanic for monster hunter rise Every game kind of has a thing. I, I liken it to how Cappy was in, in Super Mario Odyssey, right? Cappy was the mechanic for Odyssey. And they could have skimped on it. They could have just done like one or two things with it where it only showed up a few times, right? But no, they had this idea for Cappy and Nintendo just went bonkers with it. They included Cappy in every aspect of the game from being able to take over monsters, increasing your mobility, using it as an attack, I don't know if you've seen some people on YouTube play the balloon, uh, the balloon world like mode in Odyssey where you like hide balloons and people have to try and get to them in a certain amount of time. Some of the stuff that people do in Odyssey with Cappy, they go absolutely bananas. It's crazy. Like Mario is like flying across the, the stage. He's never touching the ground. He's like doing a thousand flips. He's going faster than I could ever get him to go. Just just go and look it up. It's nuts. Sorry to go off on another tangent. But the wire bug is like Cappy. They had this idea and they had an existing game. Like you have an existing Mario game. You know what Mario is. Mario runs, jumps, platforms, stomps on people. Like that's what he does. But they incorporated all that around the idea of Cappy. So we know what Monster Hunter is. It's a game where you fight monsters. You know, it's the core gameplay loop is what gets you. You start off in the village. You pick a monster to hunt. You prepare your equipment, you eat the food, you go hunt the monster, 
you kill it, you collect what you get from the monster, you go back, you forge new weapons and armor, and then you repeat. That's the core loop of Monster Hunter, right there. It always has been. That's always how it's been. It's about preparing for the next hunt, doing the hunt, coming back and building new equipment, and preparing for the next hunt. That's the main loop of Monster Hunter. Now, they built that entire loop around the inclusion of this wire bug mechanic. And the core loop is still there. So the core loop that sucks you in is still there and it's still a lot of fun. But to have the wire bug complementing almost every single aspect of this game is absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. In Monster Hunter World, there used to be invisible walls where you wouldn't be able to go off the edges of things. Like the locales are still really open in Monster Hunter World, don't get me wrong, but there used to be invisible walls as to kind of where you couldn't go. Monster Hunter Rise feels so open, not only in like where everything takes place in one map, one locale, but it feels more open vertically than Monster Hunter World ever could. Like a lot, like you can climb things in Monster Hunter World and go on the paths where they want you to go, but Monster Hunter Rise, the level of verticality that it includes in the maps that you go on just it, it makes it feel like such a better game i'm if i ever am going to go back to world which i probably will just to play it for nostalgia purposes at some point if i ever go back to world i'm just going to want a wire bug to the higher places instead of just having to try and climb and get up there it's going to really suck and because of this increased verticality they can hide more secrets on the maps they can hide more things spots if you really and there is a height limit to the maps on how high you can go but I haven't really been to a spot yet where I haven't seen something that's outside the boundaries of the maps and go, I wonder if I can go there and not been able to go there. Pretty much anywhere that you can see inside the boundaries of the map, you can get to via the wire bugs. And it's it's a really cool feeling because that wasn't always the case in World. There would be things there that you couldn't necessarily get into. So it's created this real level of verticality in the maps that, again, really affect the way that you hunt and the way that you play the game. And that's a really big deal. And I'm hoping all of these things in combination, all of these things in combination really draw in more people to try and play this game. Because if you if it's something, if you try to get in the world but couldn't, and obviously the hype is a big factor, that's why I play games too, right? We don't want to miss out on the hot game right now. And this is the hot game right now. I was the same way. I'd never played an Animal Crossing game until New Horizons, and my fiance got it when it came out, and it sold a crap ton and we played it together and I had such a blast with it and I didn't think I would. So this is your, if this is your first monster hunter game and you, and you're thinking about trying and getting into it, I, I would definitely give it a try. Then this is coming from, and l- not listen. Now I've played more than one monster hunter game. I'm not a noob anymore. I'm, I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran of the series. I don't care what anybody says. I've, I've paid my pay. I paid my dues. I've gone through the paces. Like I know what I'm doing. I would highly recommend this game to anybody who's trying it for the first time in the series. I, I definitely would because Monster Hunter World game made the game accessible. Monster Hunter Rise is the most accessible the series has ever been, even more so than World, because it still is attempting to simplify things to get more people into it. And it does a better job of introducing you to a lot of the core mechanics of the series. So if any of you out there are listening, you want to pick this up if you're daunted, it's always better to have friends to help you with this game as well. It's always better to play with friends. So if you're out there and you're thinking about checking it out, 
um, I spent a lot of time. I, I had finished Iceborne before. Um, I don't know if you've caught any of our Red Mages hunting streams every other Monday. I had played Ice. I had played and beaten Iceborne pretty much before Tom and Snowy, who we, we both we all hunt together, started playing the game. Right and. One of my greatest joys is sharing a game that I love with people and then watching them also love that game. So I spent a lot of my time doing lower level hunts with Tom and Snowy. And it wasn't a big deal to me that I wasn't doing the most difficult hunts or think or content that was at my my hunter level. I enjoyed going back and getting people through the game and teaching people the mechanics of this game because it's something that I love. So if you want interested in playing this game, I'm always down to play with people. I'm always down to when I have free time, of course, I'm always down to teach people how, like how this game is is supposed to be played. So you can hit me up on Twitter or anything. And I will gladly play with play with you guys. I will gladly play with you guys because I, I if this game is fun, it can be a little lonely sometimes if you're playing solo. But when you're playing with a group of people, this game is really fun, and it's really where this game absolutely shines. It's it's absolutely incredible. Also, one other thing I wanted to talk about <laughs> before before I, I give kind of my closing thoughts on this. In this in the series, you've always had a palico companion, which is a cat. And the palicos are badass because they're these tiny little cat creatures that are shorter than you, but they will go toe-to-toe with these motherfucking dragons that control the elements with absolutely zero amount of fucks given. And it's absolutely incredible. And they really do help you out a lot in, in a pinch because they can draw the monster's attention off of you. They can heal you. They can get you items. So Palicos are incredibly, incredibly useful and incredibly amazing. In Monster Hunter Rise, they added the Palamutes, which are doggos. Good old doggo boys that are just ugh, absolute best. This game gets a 10 just because the inclusion of doggo boys. Okay. The Palicos are great. The Palamutes are out of their goddamn minds because the palicos will help you and also fight the monsters but the palmutes just go for lack of a better term i think as a kid say these days hard in the motherfucking paint okay they give zero fucks they see a monster and they're like oh it's on i'm just gonna beat the shit out of this monster uh they have giant shurikens they can throw there's an item that you can give them it's like a, a steel i don't know what the items are but it's like a steel mouth and they will fucking jump onto the back of the monster and just start biting the shit out of it dude the palamutes go hard they give zero fucks and they are man's best friend i love them so much they are incredible top five video game sidekicks of all time easily easily they are far more useful than a lot of companions that I've had throughout my video gaming days. Don't even get me started on Donald Duck from Kingdom Hearts because god damn I hate him. <laughs> but I'd replace him with a Palamute in a heartbeat. Give me a good old doggo boy that can whoop some ass in any game. I'm 100% down. It's, it's absolutely great. They are fantastic. Not to mention they revamped the entire way that buddy system works. So you used to only get one Palico that was your companion. So not only now do you have a Palamute, but you can hire more Palicos and Palamutes at the on the Buddy Island. On the Buddy Island is, is you can go there and you can hire more dogs, hire more cats, you can train them, you can bring different sets of buddies with you on every hunt. And what's more, your buddies also kind of run your economy. So there's two things you can do with your buddies. One is the Argosi. So the Argosi is like the like essentially like your farm in this game. If you don't know Monster Hunter, you see a farm where you can like grow certain items to make 
to to craft into your your health potions, your antidotes, the things that you would need to do your hunts successfully. And back in World, the Argosi used to bring you stuff based on your requests. Well, now the Argosi is essentially your farm. And in World, you used to have the Great Tree, which would grow you stuff. So the Argosi is essentially your farm now. And you can hire more buddies, and you can send up to three buddies out for the Argosi to trade and to get you items. And that's a really important part of the game because you always need more items to make, to craft more things to help you hunt. That's important. The second thing you can do with your buddies is the Meow scenarios. And the Meow scenarios might be one of, yes, you heard me right, Meow scenarios. This might be one of my favorite things ever in any video game because the Meow scenarios are run by a Palico cat who is dressed like a motherfucking, like a ninja. He wears a mask. You don't see his face. He's wearing blacked out garb. And he sends out your buddies on these missions and these gathering and hunting missions that are like in five stages to gather you supplies, to fight monsters, to get you monster supplies. And it's absolutely an awesome part of the game. It's absolutely awesome. So if that alone isn't enough to convince you to get Monster Hunter Rise, I don't know that I'll be able to. I don't know that I'll be able to. You might be thinking to yourself, well, why would I like Monster Hunter? What What's... It's different than a lot of other games on the market that you're going to play, right? The core premise of Monster Hunter is that you're hunting these monsters, right? It's, it's literally in the game. There aren't any kind of... There are smaller enemies for you to wail on, but you don't get a lot from them. You do get parts, but the core of the game is hunting these giant monsters. And it's not like a... Mario Odyssey. It's not like a Call of Duty where you're killing hundreds and thousands of just AI that are running towards you or anything like that. This is essentially a game of boss fights. Every monster in this game, depending on your skill level, can take anywhere between 5 minutes to 30 minutes. I mean, if it's a really hard one and you're under skill, there's a there's a essentially a 50 minute cap on every single quest that you do and every fight in this game essentially feels like a boss fight it's its own contained boss fight so you're essentially lurching from one boss to the next to the next and that's a really unique thing that isn't really present in any other game that i've ever played the boss fights are a lot uh, similar to dark souls the dark souls series where you have these big boss fights that are difficult that take a while that might take a couple of tries to do it um so imagine that but that's all this game is is just a hundred percent these big fights there's nothing and and the stuff in between isn't smaller fights it's there's not smaller action in between the in-between stuff is the downtime so like i said earlier in this episode oh excuse me like i said earlier in this episode you have the core loop of what is the Monster Hunter gameplay, right? You accept a quest, you prepare yourself for said quests, you hunt the monster, you harvest the monster, if you beat it, of course. You come back and you forge your new equipment, and, and that's it. That's the gameplay loop right there. There's other kind of quests thrown in. There's fetch quests, or kill 10 small monsters, or fetch me 10 things of honey, or whatever. There's, there's smaller fetch quests thrown in to kind of break it up. And I use the smaller quests to kind of like explore the map and, and gather stuff. 
while while I feel like I'm accomplishing something. But it's really about the hunts, and it's really about preparing for the hunts, uh, using strategy to overcome any blights or obstacles that the monster might have. Because each monster is is different uh, from one to the next. It's it's what items and what equipment can I use at my disposal to make this hunt easier for me. It's actually hunting and fighting the monster and getting better at the game's combat mechanics. It's carving the monster for the pieces that you need to make more weapons and more armor. And then it's it's coming back and just starting the whole thing over again. That's the main gameplay loop. That That's it. And you're essentially going from big fight to big fight. And the downtime is you know, like your maintenance time. And you might not think that that's very fun. But there's something about the core gameplay loop of Monster Hunter that once you start doing it and once you get into a rhythm... And things, and you're in this cycle, that it really does suck you in, and it really makes you addicted to the gameplay loop. You just love doing that. You love preparing for new hunts. the The feeling of beating a monster after a 15, 20 minute battle is incredible, especially if it's one you've been struggling with. There's not really anything that compares to that in gaming. It's like if you, again, if you face a Dark Souls boss that's killed you 30 times and you finally beat it. That sense of triumph and accomplishment and elation is it's such an incredible feeling that it, it gets addicting and you want more of it. It, it really just kind of feeds into something into your brain that you just need to have more of. Finding all the stuff to make the gear you want is also really exciting, too, because it adds a really high level of replayability to the game. You're not playing this game for a story. The story is kind of cool that they include. But. You're not playing this for a story. You don't need. I don't need a motivation to go out and fight giant dinosaurs and dragons. Like I don't. I'm the, the the gameplay loop's gonna cause me to do that anyways. The combat is very complex, and so anybody can achieve any level of skill at this game if you put in enough time to it. The floor is low. The ceiling for your skill is incredibly high. You can become incredibly good at this game. Some people online do like three, four minute runs of these really tough monsters. They're just absolutely bonkers. They're insane. So it lends itself to a high. And and it's it's not, if you know the moves and you learn the monster patterns, every fight you learn something. And every fight you get a little more used to the monster. And every fight you learn how to use your combos for your weapons better. You're, you're constantly getting better throughout the course of the game. And you might not notice it um across the course of a couple hunts but eventually you'll come across a hunt that you really struggle on and you'll utilize everything that you've you've learned up until that point to be able to defeat the monster and then you'll be like oh that feels really awesome like that's a really great feeling like i have come so far i've learned all these skills i've, I've learned all these different types of things and i use all these things to to overcome this obstacle that i was having trouble with before and that's just a, a really a really awesome feeling it's, it's just absolutely great so for me, that is part of the reason why I love this series so much, and I've loved it since since World. I probably won't go back and play any of the older games because I'm just so used to the way that the new style of games is now. Rise is an incredible addition to this series, hands down, 100%. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I'll be curious to see what it's like when it comes to PC, definitely. Oh, we have to talk about one more thing, actually. One of the other main mechanics in in Monster Hunter Rise, or one of the main things, 
which uh, the story is centered around this event called the Rampage, and it's where a bunch of monsters are stampeding toward, like Lion King style, stampeding towards the village, and are gonna fucking wipe out the village because they're just gonna stampede right through it. So the Rampage is a really interesting mode that you have some quests that you can do, and it's essentially a, a tower defense style game where you put up different insulations and you put up different weapons and it's not just one or two monsters on the map like hordes of monsters are showing up to try and break through the gate and you have to protect the gate with all and strategically set things up so that you can use different weapons to defeat the monsters um the monsters initially don't have as like much health as they would in like a normal hunt they're relatively easy to repel but as the waves grow they start getting harder and harder and harder and for every rampage there's always like a, a main boss monster or like a I forget what they call it, like the, the Rampage lead monster, whatever it's called, that's harder than all the rest. And that's like the main monster you hunt while the the Rampage is like going on around you and monsters are constantly coming over the wall and like cannons are going off and it's it's absolutely freaking insane the the way they did that mode. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of stress. You're always on edge. You're always running around trying to do stuff and it, it's a really great time. And one of the coolest things about the rampage is towards the end or you have this item it's called the counter the counter signal it's a giant gong and if you ring the gong uh depending on what level you've leveled your stronghold up to and that has to do with a bunch of different aspects of you building stuff and fighting monsters and all that stuff depending on what level you've built your stronghold up to you ring the counter gong and that's a signal for you to jump into battle and just start wrecking shit because depending on your stronghold level it'll amplify the damage you do with your standard weapons like a certain number of times so the feeling of like getting to the last wave and then having a you built up your stronghold very strongly and then just ringing that counter gong and then just jumping into the fray where there's like 13 monsters and just going absolutely bananas and just just laying waste to everything in your path because you're putting out like 150 200 damage per like your regular swings and then your big attacks are putting out like 500 damage is like it's crazy it's it's so awesome and it just gets you so pumped when you hear that gong go off. You're just like, time to go into battle, baby. Jump off the fucking wall and just start swinging away. It's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, Rampage is is an awesome thing that they've added to this. And I'll be looking forward to, to trying getting... I haven't gotten some of the harder ones, no. But I, I, I know that when you get to the harder ones, they have like Apex monsters, which are supposed to be really strong. I know Magnamalo is going to be in there. He's like the main flagship monster. So I'm really, really excited to get to more difficult versions of that it's and it, uh, it's just awesome you have to experience it it's <laughs> there's just giant monsters all around you you're shooting cannons you're fucking swinging your sword around it's an absolutely crazy feeling i i can't i can't really describe it so if you listen to this and like i said i didn't really have any kind of laid out thoughts because tom was going to be gone today i just wanted to talk about monster hunter rise because it's an incredible game if you listen to this podcast by now, if you know that I'm talking about something on this podcast, it's something that I'm very passionate about. Like when I talk about Final Fantasy or I did the episode on game design, I don't just go out of my way to not to talk about things that I don't really care about. Honestly, if you're waiting for me to talk about something on this podcast, if it's something that I'm not passionate about, then I'm probably not going to talk about it, unfortunately. And I probably won't do things where I review games either. I won't play a game just to review it. The way it works is, and I've taken the, I mean, back in the day, I used to listen to a lot of Rooster Teeth when I was younger in college, and 
uh, one of the guys there, Jack, I remember he answered a question about them reviewing games. And he said that they didn't want to just be another review outlet. Uh, pretty much that if they were playing a game on stream or they were, they were putting out content about a game, is it, they liked it. That was their review. And I'm kind of the same way. If if I'm putting out content about a video game, if I'm if you see episodes popping up about certain things, it's I'm really passionate about those things and I like those things. So you don't have to ever ask me, oh, what do you think about so and so game? Um, I guess the uh, I guess the exclusion here would be the, about the news we talked about Cyberpunk, but that was more about the news around Cyberpunk rather than the game itself. And we like to talk about the news around certain things in the industry when we feel like it's relevant. But pretty much if you see something on here that's being talked about, generally, we like it, we endorse it, we think you should go play it. I probably won't ever take the time to play and go in-depth to a game that I don't feel invested in. Because I feel like that's not only a waste of my time when I couldn't be talking about things that I'm passionate about. And I know that you want to talk about things that you're passionate about. That's what people want to listen to. I feel like I'd be wasting your time too because I wouldn't want you to listen to something that I felt was half-baked and that I wasn't passionate about. So I guess to wrap it all up, yes, I would highly recommend going to pick up Monster Hunter Rise. And I'm sure I've told you you probably pick up Monster Hunter World just as a mistake now that I'm thinking about it. Go pick up Monster Hunter Rise. It is, it's a great experience. If you would like to help getting into it, I am more than happy to help people. I love this game. And I think it'll give you a different perspective on the way. It definitely gave me a different perspective on the way I, I play video games just because it was something so different and I'd never played something like this before. And I hope it would do the same thing to you. And if you try it and you don't like it, or if you're on the fence about it, maybe wait till it goes down to 40 bucks or 30 bucks on the eShop or something and then pick it up. It might be worth it. Or maybe just wait and see till it comes out on PC. Uh, one of the first free updates is coming at the end of April. So by the time the PC version comes around, they'll have a bunch of free updates. You can kind of see the direction the game is going. Maybe wait for that. I don't know. But I would highly recommend it. Strong front runner for my game of the year this year so far. Really strong front runner. And I'm probably biased. So, But we got a long year to go. We'll see what else comes out. I would recommend 10 out of 10. Go check out Monster Hunter Rise. I appreciate you guys sticking around listening to me just ramble uh when i get excited like this i will pretty much run on sentence ramble anything so i hope this is enjoyable for you guys to listen to in some aspect a couple updates one thing uh, i wanted to give you guys updated socials to where you could reach us so we are on instagram right now we will post updates as to when new episodes are out as well as kind of things that we just generally enjoy about gaming I believe that's just SideQuesting Podcast. You can look us up on Instagram. There are a couple other SideQuest-style podcasts that share similar names. Make sure you look for uh, our Rainbow Arrow logo, SideQuesting Podcast, on Instagram. If you want to follow us on Twitter, I believe the podcast's main Twitter is pod sidequesting at pod sidequesting i believe i don't post too much there just because it hasn't gotten a lot of traction i mostly post from my main twitter account which went through a bit of an update a couple days ago this week i decided to switch my online persona for the longest time you may have known me as riptide online that was a name that i took back when i went into college uh, i took that gamer tag because my original gamer tag which used to be sire 
C-I-R-E. My name is just spelled backwards, and it sounds kind of cool because it makes me sound like a king. That used to be my original handle when I first got my Xbox 360, and I went through some trouble with that. My Microsoft account got locked. Microsoft had no idea what was going on with it. I couldn't get into any of the parental controls to turn stuff off on my Xbox. So I pretty much lost my first account and had to I remade my Riptide account, uh, which was my backup name, which I don't even know why I picked that name. I just thought maybe it sounded kind of cool. Um, I'd always missed my original profile, though. Um, so I switched my online persona. I'm going back to being Sire. C-I-R-E, and you can find me on Twitter at Sire underscore 104, I believe, is the new Twitter handle. You can also check out the new logo that I pretty quickly threw together in Illustrator. It's pretty terrible. Um, If you want to reach Tom on Twitter, he is at RedRival26. You are also able to email us questions or anything at all. You can email me to tell me that you hated the podcast and want to punch me in the face, if that's what you want to do. SideQuestingPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to do a viewer question, a viewer, a listener question mailbag type of segment. So if you got questions, we'd love for you guys to email them in. That No matter how zany they are, if the zanier the better. If they're crazy, I'm more likely to want to ask Tom to answer them because I think that'll be hilarious. And I think that's really it for all of these socials. We don't have a Facebook. and I guess you can find us on Anchor. That's where the podcast is hosted at uh, anchor.fm slash podcast, I believe it is. And you are also able to find us wherever podcasts are available. Although, if you're listening to this, you've probably already found us. So, congratulations. I believe we are now up on... I'm sure we're not available wherever side quests... Or side quests. Wherever podcasts are available. Uh, I We're probably up on the big ones that we need to be up on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Overcast, Breaker. There's a couple other of ones like that. Uh, I believe. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where we're found. Uh, when I check the analytics of the podcast, a big segment of the circle says others. So it's none of the ones that I know that we're on. So we could be, we could be anywhere as far as I. So just keep an eye out for us. And if there's a preferred platform that you listen to that we are not hosted on, you can let me know and I will do everything in my power to get it added to that platform. So I really appreciate you guys listening, hanging out with me this whatever day you're listening. Uh, Just imagine I'm sitting right next to you, just talking to you about Monster Hunter for an hour. I hope, I'm pretty sure things have calmed down for Tom a little bit. I think next week we're going to try and do a episode with both both of us. Uh, We still do have a guest we want to bring on. We've been working towards that. I've just been kind of manning the fort as adulting life has hit us pretty hard. So we should be back to that next week. Uh, We will also be doing another episode of Filler Arc, continuing our adventures with My Hero Academia and the adventures of Zuku Midoriya as he trains to become the world's number one hero. And as always, we will be online playing games you can find us on there you can find us on the twitter if uh i think tom streams three days a week you can find him twitch.tv slash red rival 26 and he streams a bunch of stuff we stream our bi-weekly monday night hunts he streams pokemon he streams fighting games overwatch uh just kind of whatever he kind of feels like at the time and he does a really good job so if you wanted to come check us out there uh, I'm hanging out in the chat uh, sometimes, so you can come and ch- chat with us, hang out. That would be really cool. So, again, appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope you have a happy Easter, a happy holiday weekend. 
Uh, I hope you're able to spend it with your families now that things are getting a little more under control and uh, just have some relaxation time with them. Thanks for listening. Catch you guys next episode.